0: Today's subject matter is intended for adults only. If you have kiddos nearby, you may want to listen to this episode at a later time.
1: Generally, addicts suffer from low self-worth. We do not believe that we have any real value to anybody in this world. When we as addicts get to a place where we feel so hopeless, and the shame and the guilt are heavy upon us, and our self-worth is at an all-time low, suicide starts to become a very real thought.
0: Has your marriage been shattered by sexual betrayal? Are you wondering if there's any possible way to save your marriage, or even if you want to? Is there just the tiniest glimmer of hope that you and your spouse can work it out, but you have no clue how or where to start?
1: Hello, and welcome to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. We're your hosts, Johnny and Emily Spiegelmeyer, two formerly seriously broken people who have been called by God to share our story of redemption and the hope that lies within every story that's fully surrendered to God. And we have been where you are, my friends.
0: As a result of adultery fueled by pornography, the marriage vows we had exchanged as newlyweds were eventually shattered. However, we are here together to let you know that this devastation we experienced was actually a gift. On our show, we will be sharing the resources we found invaluable on our road to reconciliation and recovery. We'll tackle the topics of marriage, faith in God, infidelity, porn addiction, and recovery. We will also be taking questions from you, our awesome audience.
1: So if you're ready to move from pain-filled todays into hope-filled tomorrows, grab your favorite beverage and spend a little time with us. We want you to know that your story matters and that there is hope for your marriage through Christ Jesus.
0: Marriage is redeemed,
1: hearts renewed,
0: on Beyond Broken Vows podcast.
1: Hello and welcome back. We're so glad that you could join us today.
0: Yeah. What are we going to talk about today, Johnny?
1: We're going to talk about the possibility that your spouse might be a porn addict. And we're going to outline some clues today on helping to figure that out. But I just wanted to start by saying that if you have not gleaned it from our episodes leading up to this point, I am a recovering porn and sex addict. We will be citing one particular resource that helped us outline exactly what an addict is and what an addict is not, but we're only really communicating this message through our personal experience with it. Mm -hmm. So, Emily, with the truth of me being a sex addict, you have your own perspective on life before discovery, you know, with regard to my behavior and the clues and then what you learned afterwards. Do you have anything that you want to share on that?
0: Well, sure. As the wife of a recovering sex addict, you know, I've learned that there were clues that you displayed that had pointed to addictive behavior. Yes. I was aware of your periodic pornography use, but I didn't put it together with those behavioral clues to realize that there might be a more serious issue. Right. So now that we have been working on recovery for several years, I have discovered that I either missed the signs or I ignored the signs of addiction. So we're going to share some information with our audience today that I wished I had known back in the beginning before it had escalated into compulsive pornography use and serial extramarital relationships.
1: Right. We hope that this information helps you, our audience, connect the dots. This is not about getting our spouses into trouble. It's about getting them out. Right. Freedom is on the other side of our hidden sin. Mm -hmm. Even if you're already aware of addictive behavioral patterns, Please be assured that it will not just go away on its own. If left unaddressed, it will always escalate. It is a painful process to come out of addiction for both spouses, but it is well worth it. It's worth the journey to experience real connection with each other in a marriage based on honesty, trust, transparency, and exclusivity.
0: It absolutely is.
1: I mean, we have found that from the time that we started recovery, which basically as the period after disclosure, when I vomited all of my bad behaviors all over you, and then we started to try to sort those out, and I got into a recovery program, and we did our intensive. That was so not an easy process.
0: No, it really wasn't. It was very painful, and it was unknown. We didn't really know what to expect from day to day, from moment to moment. Right. The emotions would run high, And the grief set in, too. You know, there's a grieving process that goes along with this. So it was not an easy thing. And that process actually went a couple of years. Yes. Our pastor actually had told us at the very beginning to expect recovery to take a couple of years.
1: Right. I remember that.
0: And I was not real happy to hear that down the road a few months after you had really decided to stop the lying and tell me the complete truth about everything, no matter how much it hurt me. Yes. Shortly after that, I felt like, okay, this isn't going to take two years. You know, we're doing good. We're making great progress. We're going to get through this and we're going to get over this In about, you know, I give it a year.
1: <laughs>
0: do you remember that? Right.
1: Oh, yeah. You always had such high expectations. Yes. Very optimistic.
0: Yeah, I'm optimistic to a fault sometimes, but it actually did take a couple of years to go through that process until we felt able to live a normal, cordy fingers, normal life again. Not that we don't still have triggers and things to work through, but now we not only have the tools to do that, we also have two people willing to be open and transparent and honest with each other. And that makes all the difference.
1: Yes. As we're trying to unfold things that were wrong with our marriage and with my behaviors ahead of time, could you imagine trying to unravel addiction without even understanding it or even an acknowledgement that it existed?
0: No. Addiction wasn't even a thought in my mind before that, except for the fact that, I felt you were addicted to Dr. Pepper.
1: (laughs) Right. And we did joke about that for pretty much our whole married life.
0: Yes, we did. But it actually was an addiction, wasn't it? Yes. And it was probably a clue that if there's one addiction, no matter how trivial it might seem, that's like the tip of the iceberg and that there's probably some more things going on below the surface that are bigger.
1: Right. Because in the nature of addiction, there's a mindset and then there are behavioral patterns that emerge from those mindsets. Mm Mm-hmm. But just to tie that part off, I actually have not had Dr. Pepper or caffeine for now three and a half years. That's right. Once I recognized that even it had a control on me, I wanted to get that control out of my life so that I could have full control of my mind again. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Pornography and extramarital relationships and the need for affirmation and the Dr. Pepper, all those things that I've held on to my whole life things that I felt I needed for emotional stability and control. Now that those are gone, my mind is free to find out what else might be scurrying around in the attic <laughs> that I might need to address.
0: Right. But each
1: time we address one and we get it out of our lives, it frees our mind even more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just wanted to take this moment to say to our audience, I did not know that I was an addict. I understood that I had certain behaviors I knew that I just liked sex. I knew that I was a man, and I'm over sex, and I have more needs than my wife does. We talked about that in our previous episode, about the lies that we tell ourselves, and I was full-on into those lies. I bought every one of them, I took the class, and I scored high. With that in mind, trying to unwrap the idea that I was an addict, because it was suggested to me by our pastor, our senior pastor. After full disclosure, after he learned everything that was going on, he was like, yeah, first of all, your minister's credentials are now immediately revoked. Second, you really need to consider being treated for sex addiction. Mm -hmm. Based on that recommendation, I seriously took that into consideration and I went and looked and I found an addiction recovery program.
0: What program was that, honey?
1: Uh, I found Sex Addicts Anonymous here in the city that we live in. And it was a real easy search. I just went to Google and I typed in sex addiction recovery. And it gave me a list of everything that came up for that in my local area. I found Sex Addicts Anonymous and I sent them an email to let them know that, hey, I think I'm a sex addict. And the reply that I got from this gentleman was, what makes you think that you are a sex addict? So here is the actual email that I sent it. Are you ready? I am 50 years old, and I've been addicted to pornography since I was eight years old when I found my father's stash. I have had periods when I have been able to set it aside, the longest being three years, but I have always had to come back to it. In those times, it consumed me, and that's all that I wanted and would look for any opportunity to view. When I would have my release through masturbation, the guilt and shame would set in immediately, but it wouldn't take very long for that to go away and I would want to go right back to it, sometimes up to five times in the 24-hour period. I have been married for 31 years. For the last 11 years, I have had sexual relationships with three other women. I have finally been found out, and I am looking for help to finally put this issue behind me so that my wife and I can put our marriage back together. I am currently 28 days as of yesterday without viewing or masturbation. I am a licensed minister at a local church, and I can provide my current credentials. He replied to me, I will take you at your word. Here's the directions to the meeting. When you get there, we'll teach you the secret handshake.
0: <laughs> wow. You know what? When you were reading that letter that you wrote four years ago, yes, what you described to him was the addictive cycle.
1: Right. You could say that I knew it without knowing it. Because all I described to him is what my behavior pattern looked like up to that point.
0: That became very evident whenever you started going through recovery, that that pattern of compulsive behavior and acting out the shame and the guilt. Yes. And then circling back to planning out the compulsive behavior. Right.
1: That's the preoccupation.
0: Right. That's amazing that you could articulate that even back then.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're ready to dive into our topic for today. But before we do, I'm going to have Emily pray for us today, if you would, please, my love.
0: Okay. Yes, I will. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a topic that is very difficult to talk about. It was very difficult to live out. And I just pray that you would be with us as we discuss the clues and the signs that others can use to discover if there's an addiction in the home. Father, it's messy business, but you see it all already. And we just ask that you would help us as we walk through the clues that we're about to unfold. And help those who are listening to be able to discern in their own lives if this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Because, Father, once it is addressed and it's taken out of the shadows and into the light, you can heal it. You can restore marriages and reconcile people. And, Father, if we go through the hard parts and we don't give up and we put you right in the middle, we will see the reward at the end. We praise you for that. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Yes, and amen. Thank you, Emily. Are you ready to start unfolding some of these clues?
0: Yeah, let's get to it.
1: Well, before we have clues, as has been our habit, we have definitions. Right. So the first definition I want to run through today is the definition of addiction. That's a good place to start. A great place to start because sometimes that's really difficult to kind of nail down. This definition is a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by the seeking for and using of a substance or behavior despite adverse consequences. So it's a great definition. And as we start to unfold this, the very first words there really start to give us a clue that this is not an easy thing to remove from our lives. The first words there are chronic, and then relapsing, and then disordered. Right. <laughs> but when you put them all together, a chronic relapsing disorder. That means you're going to have to be in it for the long haul if you really want to see any real movement or healing or freedom. What we want to do now is start by giving you some insights into addiction itself. These insights are broken into three parts. There are internal evidences. There are external evidences. And then there are external behavioral clues. As we go through the three of these, let's start with the internal evidences. The first one to top that list is denial. Remember that this is internal. So this is going on inside of the attic. First of all, we're denying that there's even a problem. Mm -hmm. Second of all, we find it easy to ignore the problem. Because if we ignore it, it'll just go away, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, not so much.
1: No, it does not just go away. Another internal evidence, blaming others. But this is an internal thing that you're blaming others inside of your head for things that are going wrong in your life.
0: Yes, it's an internal evidence, but it could also be an external evidence too, because some people may outwardly blame others for things that are going wrong in their life. You weren't actually coming out and blaming people for the things that were going wrong. You were inwardly blaming. I didn't know you were going through this internal struggle for all of those years. You hid that inside very well. But it's not necessarily hidden for everyone.
1: No, not necessarily. And you're absolutely correct. What I'm describing here as internal can find its way out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But for the most part, it lives inside. And this is why you couldn't truly identify it in me. Right. And the last one on that list is we minimize our behaviors. We just say, it isn't that big a deal. Or we say, don't worry about it. I got this. Mm -hmm. Those are common ideas that go with minimizing our behaviors. Mm Okay, moving on to external evidences. The first one up is being argumentative. When somebody confronts us with something that we may or may not be doing wrong, per se, we always find a way to argue back against it. Mm -hmm. That's being argumentative. The next one is justifications. We talked about justifications back in our episode about being rigorously honest in five ways that we lie.
0: Right.
1: Justification is assigning a noble purpose to your behaviors. Yes. Like getting involved with a single woman because she can't fix things around her house. Sounds very noble, doesn't it? And in normal behavior, it can be. I don't want to exclude that because real people need help. But when the context gets skewed by regular pornography use and other character defects that we're going to continue to outline in these clues, you've now got a problem. Okay, so after justifications is constantly making excuses. You're always making excuses for your behaviors whenever you're confronted with what's going on with you that doesn't necessarily line up with your family beliefs, things that you and your wife traditionally believe, either through church or just inside of your own marriage. Right. The next one after that, employing circular reasoning. Mm -hmm. And all of these between being argumentative by justifying By constantly making excuses and employing the circular reasoning, what it boils down to is that we're spending a lot of time talking our way out of trouble, and we will use any methods that we can at our disposal to learn how to do that. I just want to say this at the outset. Addicts are really good liars. We are learned, we are practiced, and we are polished.
0: Why did you break it down into those three particular words, honey?
1: That's great. Thank you for asking. We are learned because every time we get close to being caught or we get caught in an act of inconsistency that may be immoral, we figure out how it was that we got caught and we learn from that how not to get caught again, especially if it goes untreated like we spoke of in our last episode.
0: Right. We didn't seek help whenever the pornography issue popped up in our marriage.
1: Right. We didn't raise the red flag immediately right away. We both kind of said, you and I can work this out together. We don't feel that we need to be going outside of our marriage to
0: do this. Right. Big mistake.
1: And so we're practiced because the more we employ those methods, the better we get at it. Then we learn to be polished, And polished is where we start to put the little tweaks here and there, and we start embellishing it, and it starts to look bigger and more beautiful, and our stories get more elaborate and more believable. And when we talk to people, we're actually telling them lies that we are believing ourselves.
0: Okay, so what is the last set of clues here?
1: The last set of clues we have here are outward behavioral clues. All right, guys, here we go. The very first one is being protective about the cell phone. The wife asks the husband, hey, let me have a look at your cell phone. I want to get a look at it. Observe what that reaction looks like. Is your spouse hesitant? Does he come up with reasons why he doesn't want to? Does he just say, that's my private business and it doesn't belong to you?
0: Well, in one of our previous episodes, we talked about the fact that whenever I asked you about your cell phone, because I wanted to see a picture that you had taken or there was something that you were complaining about that you didn't know how to use, and so I was going to go in there and change your settings and make it easier for you to use it, you would get very defensive.
1: She's actually correct in this. I'm always yelling at my cell phone because it's not doing what I want it to do. But that, again, was the justification for me not wanting you to look at my phone. There was also the idea that I don't remember what I left there that I don't want you to find. I was always being very careful to try to erase histories, erase texts to acting out partners or sites that I had visited. I was always really careful to go through and meticulously remove those, but everybody makes mistakes. If you've ever watched those CSI cop shows, they're always going to leave something behind. They can never get everything.
0: Yeah, so you would not give me access to your phone based on your displeasure of me changing your settings. That's right. And that's why I thought that you were so protective of your phone. I never thought beyond that because, Mm -hmm. first of all, I didn't know you were a liar. Second of all, I had no clue that you were an addict. So there was no real reason for me to push the issue.
1: Right. The other thing is that because I stood my ground so vehemently, it made you scared to want to do it again.
0: That's true. I was just like, okay, I'm not going to mess with that. Right. So that method that you employed was successful in keeping me at bay.
1: So the next one going down the outward behavioral clues is, is there a place that is off limits to you being the spouse or your children? It could be the office, could be the garage, the basement, or a workshop. Does your husband have a place where the family is not allowed to go? He's emphatic stay out of this area.
0: We didn't have that issue in our marriage.
1: No, mine was my cell phone. It was the only thing that that I had.
0: Yes, that was your only off limits. Although you did have a shed that you did some work out of sometimes that I just didn't really have a need to go in. So you never said, please don't go into my shed. You just hoped that I wouldn't go in your shed.
1: Right. There was always that hope, but you had the combination. The kids had the combination and they could go in and out of my shed anytime they needed to. As a matter of fact, there were times when I called you on a job site and say, hey, I need you to go into the shed and please bring me X so that I can finish the work. So here's the sneaky thing, though, because addicts are sneaky. If I give you a task to go in, grab it, and I tell you exactly where it is, there's a high possibility that there's going to be something in there that I don't want you to see somewhere else. So I direct you exactly to it by giving you very specific directions. That's a form of manipulation.
0: Yeah, you're trying to be helpful. Correct. But you're actually manipulating what I'm doing.
1: Yes. So you can start to see the complexity of an addicted mind who's trying to cover up for the lies and the behaviors that he himself knows that we know do not line up with our moral values or the promises that we made to our spouse for fidelity. Okay, next one. Is your spouse overly defensive when confronted about certain behaviors? Now, inside of normal Christian committed marriage, we're supposed to be spurring one another on into good works. It even says that in Proverbs 27, verse 17, Mm -hmm. it says, let us remember to spur one another on to good works and deeds. But the important thing to remember in that verse is the word spur. Ouch. There's nothing comfortable about a spur. Just ask a horse how it feels about a spur. There were times when you would speak into my life about my inconsistencies, and morally you were right to do so. But because my mind is now full of distorted thinking processes, I'm now receiving that in a negative way.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: One thing I just want to add here is that generally, addicts suffer from low self-worth. We do not believe that we have any real value to anybody in this world, but we find ourselves overcompensating to have the appearance of being helpful, being useful, and to be worthwhile to have around. Mm -hmm. In my case, I found that I needed to act like everybody else did so that I could be pleasing to them in their sight. So that's how I determined value. I changed who I was in a given situation, that true addiction that I uncovered through recovery, which was the need for affirmation and acceptance. Right. And my sexual acting out behavior was a result of needing to be accepted. Mm -hmm. A lot of those behaviors that I displayed was because I was trying to be accepted by somebody else that I perceived that I needed to inflate my worth to.
0: Right. Except for your wife.
1: Except for my wife. How curious is that?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You are meant to be my safe zone. And so as you're speaking into me and I'm receiving it as negative, Eventually, when you start speaking into every area of my life, because of my low self-worth, I'm starting to feel negative messages from you, so my self-worth goes down. I no longer believe that anybody out there can meet my needs, so I have to go meet those myself. Mm. This is a common belief in addicts, whether it's substance addiction or whether it's behavioral addiction. The belief is that nobody else out there can meet your needs. So you're going to you're going to go out and act upon it in these compulsive ways so that you can meet those needs yourself. The next clue in the outward behaviors is unaccounted for physical absences,
0: meaning that you're just not where you're supposed to be when we think you're somewhere.
1: Right. It can look like uh, leaving for work early. Strangely, he never leaves for work early. Why is he leaving for work early today?
0: Of course, coming home late, that's something that is portrayed in the movies all the time.
1: It's in culture everywhere. The mm-hmm. coming home from work late. Hey, baby, I got to work late tonight.
0: Yeah. Uh, what else?
1: If you were to contact me in the middle of the day and find out that I'm somewhere that I didn't say that I was going to be, it's inconsistent with my schedule, and I don't have any real good answer for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I come up with a really good answer for that. Yeah,
0: that was more the case with us. You always had a good answer for where you were something that would make me not suspect a thing.
1: Right. And the last one in that category of outward behavioral clues is even when we're present, we can seem as though we are distracted and distant. Mm -hmm. Emily, I think you have a perspective to share on that, don't you?
0: Well, sure. And we did share this in one of our previous episodes as well, that towards the end of this period of time where you were acting out and before you got caught, I felt that you were very distracted and very distant I would talk to you and your eyes would glaze over, and I thought that you were just thinking about ministry or work. I believe we said this last week, that you were just not really there with me. You weren't paying attention to me. You weren't focusing on me. Correct. And it got to the point where it was almost better that you weren't even around when you would leave on a ministry trip or whatever, because it was just easier to not have that happen than for you to be there and not really be there.
1: Right. Right. What about those times when you would look over to me and we would be somewhere and you looked over at me and I was texting?
0: Yeah, because you were not really a texter for almost all of our marriage. You're a technophobe. And so you really didn't use your phone a lot when you did get a smartphone. You didn't really use it for very many things, just really for phone calls and looking up the weather, you know, so that you knew what to do in your job. And so when I would see you texting while we're together as a family, or you and I are somewhere together, like on a cruise, you know, you're on your phone texting. I'm thinking, who in the world are you texting? Right. And if I asked about it, you gave me some answer that obviously I believed because I never suspected a thing.
1: Again, polished. Yes. We get really good at making up reasons why we do what we do.
0: Keeping us in the dark.
1: Right. So now we want to talk about compulsive behavior. Compulsive behavior, as it's defined, is having the urge to repeat a behavior until a feeling of anxiety or unease goes away. This is premeditated. Now, last week, we talked about impulsive behavior, and an impulse is simply acting without thinking.
0: Right, and that's not premeditated.
1: We have heard about an impulsive buyer. I saw it and I just had to have it. Mm -hmm. But what about a compulsive buyer? Right? The one who is repeating that behavior until a feeling of anxiety or unease goes away.
0: I do know women who have a compulsive shopping disorder because of emotional distress in their lives, Mm -hmm. in their marriages.
1: And popular culture would call that shopping therapy, wouldn't it?
0: Yes, like like it's a really good thing. Mm
1: -hmm. And we joke about it and we write it off like it's funny.
0: Mm-hmm. But it is a behavior that displays a lack of control.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And a poor way to manage your emotions.
1: That is actually very true, yes. James one thirteen through 15, tells us this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I've heard it quoted, and I don't know who it's by, but the quote is, temptation is the grandfather of death.
0: Wow, that's a very powerful statement.
1: But I just wanted to let you know that being tempted is not sinful. Jesus himself was tempted, was he not?
0: Very much so, with every temptation known to man.
1: That's right. But what it says here in James is that when we're tempted by evil, then we are dragged away by our own desires. Mm -hmm. So when the temptation matches what we already have as a desire within our heart, they meet, then we're dragged away. And that gives birth to sin. And then sin gives birth to
0: death. Spiritual death.
1: It is spiritual death. In some cases, though, I just want to uh, lay on the seriousness of this is that when we as addicts get to a place where we feel so hopeless and the shame and the guilt are heavy upon us and our self-worth is at an all-time low, suicide starts to become a very real thought.
0: And with all that emotional turmoil inside all the time, it can present itself as health issues.
1: That's correct, yes. In conclusion, if we're trying to make the decision whether our spouse is a pornography addict or not, I want to tie these things together. We talked about, in our last episode, the presence of pornography in our marriage. About all the ways that it's not good and the lies that surround that. Now we're tying it together with these behaviors. Being a porn viewer does not make you an addict. And because you're an addict doesn't necessarily mean that pornography is your chosen method of acting out. But when you put these two together, you have to ask the question... Is it possible that my spouse is a porn addict? Also from scripture, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation is overtaking you except for that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it.
0: That is a great promise. And I know that that verse was very important to you all through our marriage, but that way out that God was giving you, you just weren't taking it.
1: That's correct. And actually, that's what I wanted to expound on with this verse. So no temptation has overtaken you except for that which is common to man. First of all, temptation is common. It comes to us all. Temptation is not the sin. It's when we act upon the temptation when it meets our desire that's already inside of our hearts. The next statement is that God is faithful. We always need to remember that statement because that's the truth. God is always faithful when we are faithless.
2: That's right. And
1: that's really important in the addictive cycle and trying to understand the mind of an addict. God is always the faithful one. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He always has a way of knowing you for who you really are and how much that you can take. But he always wants you to grow. And sometimes we grow through pain through the most difficult parts of our life. And then it goes on to conclude, but when we are tempted, notice where it says there, when we are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the tricky part right there. That's where we go from being a well-practiced Christian man, using this as a memory verse, to losing it on the other end because we've fallen once again to the temptation to view pornography and we've gotten involved with someone else who is not our spouse. He provides those ways out so that we can stand up under it, but are we willing to take them?
0: What was your way out, honey, that he was providing?
1: The way out that he was providing was in my quiet times in the morning when I was begging him to remove this desire for pornography and this overdrive for sex and the wrongs that I had already done through acting out with other women His one answer to me was consistent over many, many events, which was, you need to tell Emily. But instead of listening to that, I made a vow that I would never tell you because I believed it was going to be too painful for you and that you wouldn't be able to endure it. The truth was, I wouldn't be able to endure coming out of the shadows myself. Mm -hmm. To be found out for who I was was my greatest fear that you would get rid of me. I even told God in my prayer time, I told him flat out, I won't do that. Give me anything else, but I won't do that. And his answer back to me, there is nothing else left for you to do. You cannot get out of this on your own. Mm -hmm. And he made sure that I knew that it was you that was going to be my way out as is the case actually with many of in our covenant relationships if you were two sincerely Jesus loving people when you decided to get married and you had a christian marriage you believed certain things and god he meant for you to be able to walk all of this out with the one that you promised to walk all these things through with that's covenant
2: mm-hmm.
1: i've said it before covenant says i will always be to you As I promised I would be, even if you're not to me as you promised you would be.
0: That's exactly right. And you didn't know it, but I was able to bear it. And I did when you finally were discovered. And I know that you wish you would have come clean a long time ago on your own. I know that you wish you had the courage to do that.
1: You broke the first lie. The biggest and strongest lie was that you would get rid of me if you knew. And you didn't go anywhere. You were really mad (laughs) and really hurt. Yes. But you didn't go anywhere. Nope. And breaking that first lie was where my recovery began.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's so great. So, to recap the clues that we've outlined today as guides for determining the possibility that there's a sexual addiction in your spouse or in yourself, first we have internal evidence of denial ignoring the problem, blaming others, and minimizing behaviors. There is also external evidence like being argumentative, justifying, constantly making excuses, and employing circular reasoning. And there are some outward behavioral clues as well. For example, being protective about cell phones or other media that could be viewed by your spouse. And then is there any off-limit areas around the house to family members Is your spouse being overly defensive when confronted about certain behaviors? And then there's also unaccounted for physical absences. And then even when your spouse is present, are they distracted or distant? So that's 13 clues that we have curated from our own experience and from things that other people have written about, primarily from a book called Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes. We will have that resource listed in our show notes. And if you would like a list of the 13 clues, you can request it at support at beyondbrokenvows.com and we'll get that resource out to you right away.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a good place to start. Right. So if there are several things on this list that you have observed that leads you to believe that your spouse may be a porn addict or sex addict, find somebody you can trust that can help you know how to proceed. We suggest your local church pastor or even a licensed therapist. Please do not attempt to address this issue alone.
1: If what you heard here today leads you to believe that you yourself might be a porn addict, please seek professional help immediately. We suggest a licensed professional counselor or a CSAT, which stands for Certified Sex Addiction Therapist. You may also want to consider entering into a 12-step recovery program, or inside of our churches there is Celebrate Recovery But there are many other recovery programs out there that are designed to help you walk your way out of the addiction. And they will help you to decide when it is that you're supposed to include your spouse. Not if, but when. Right. And we also suggest that you speak to your local pastor for other support and resources.
0: Yes, absolutely. So that was a lot. That was a big list of things to consider. Yes. But it's so important to not gloss over behaviors in a marriage that are causing someone to feel abandoned, neglected, not prioritized in a contentious marriage. Yes. There's always a reason for it. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's an addict, a porn addict or any kind of addict. But those issues in a marriage do need to be addressed. Again, if it is coupled with a history of pornography use, these are good clues that it could be something like a sexual addiction.
1: Yes. And I'm just reminded while you were just saying that, that there's a saying out there that many of us have heard, that hurting people hurt people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's something behind that.
0: Right. So thank you, Johnny, for being the one to lay that out for us in a very visceral way, really, to get people to see behind the curtain a little bit. I know that my eyes were really blinded throughout our marriage to the things that you were doing. I bought into your lies. I didn't want to see the worst in you. I wanted to see the best in you. I was very unwilling or unable to catch a clue. So we're hoping today that maybe some spouses out there who have experienced some of these kind of behaviors will catch a clue earlier than later and that this marriage can get the help it needs to become a fulfilling and wonderful, beautiful thing. So, Johnny, would you just close us in prayer today?
1: Yes, I will. Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for walking us through this process and giving Emily and I space to talk about this very important issue. Father, as we've had our eyes opened by these clues, I pray that those that are listening would not shut their eyes and their ears and their heart off to it and choose denial, but to be able to internalize this as possibly a reality in their lives. Be gentle with them and give them the boldness to step out of the darkness. Call them, Father, to yourself into your beautiful light, that they may find freedom and healing, and that they have a hope of living an honest, transparent, and intimate marriage with their spouse for the rest of their days that you give to them. Mm -hmm. We're grateful for this time that we've had together. We pray, Lord, your blessing on all those who hear this message. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Join us again next week when we're going to be talking about feeling that I'm not enough as it relates to the reality of porn and sex addiction in our marriage.
1: How it is that you as the betrayed feel like you are not enough and how we as the betrayers feel that we are not enough.
0: So until next time,
1: Marriage is redeemed.
0: Hearts renewed on Beyond Broken Vows podcast.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. And before you go, if this podcast has encouraged you and you're feeling some hope for today, Please share the show with someone else you know who is going through a similar situation and needs to know that they're not alone. One of the best ways you can help us reach more people is to leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And as always, we would love to hear questions from you that we can answer on our midweek show. Just email us at support at beyondbrokenvows.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.